Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex episode 137 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, Simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the ads or banners on the oneouter.com website. Follow us on Twitter at oneouter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash oneouter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on oneouter.com and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, please email questions at oneouter.com or you can tweet them or post them in the Facebook group. Alex, episode 137, Thursday evening UK, morning uh, Bullhead City. Nah, I'm uh, I'm in Queens, New York right oh, now. Oh, you're right. Okay, okay. Well, you're either you're either East Coast or West West Coast, so you're in your uh, Queen spot just now. What's been happening? Um, last time we were talking, you were splashing around some tournaments in Vegas, and you've just told us you're in Queens now. So, what's been happening last week? Uh, I, uh, the last, well, first of all, it's good to be here. Thank you guys for having me, as always. Last week, I, I had a realization I'm not ready for the World Series of Poker, quite frankly. And I, not that I wasn't plus EV in my tournaments, but there's two, there's, there's two things I do. I run a business and I play poker professionally. And I'm just realizing you have to do one or the other. You can't do them both at the same time. I got back on the tour this year. It went really good uh, back in December at the WPT final table. January had a final table up in Montreal. Mm -hmm. But once things started picking up with a bunch of my projects, I was working 14, 16-hour days. And that's fine when you're... 19 you have quite a bit of energy i'm coming on 30 now it's a little different i just realized i couldn't do that and what ended up happening was i sold this package of poker tournament uh percentages and if i sell something i'm gonna deliver so i i showed up at the poker room every day ready to give everything my all and I did do that. Unfortunately, didn't get any tremendous results. But at the end of the day, you're just so exhausted. And Vegas is really fun if you go for... Gambling should always be fun. It should be with money you can afford to lose. I don't really like the attitude we strike in poker oftentimes where we don't treat new players with the respect they deserve. It should be fun, and Vegas is really the best city in the world if you're there for a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. and there's so, much, there's so many fun things to do when you bust the tournament, and I always love Vegas for that, getting to go to NBA Summer League and watch some of the best 
basketball players from around the world fight for a spot on the NBA, going to Penn and Teller, going to, uh, excuse me one second. <coughs> Sorry, that's really great podcasting right there, coughing, but <laughs> couldn't avoid it. Going to, going to minor league baseball games, going to the stratosphere to check out the view, going on roller coasters. Uh, going to the Pinball Hall of Fame. Go, it, all these things are... Going to ATV riding, going to Mount Charleston. All these things are amazing. And it, it can be one of the greatest times in your life. You go, you play a poker tournament, you meet like-minded people, you share stories, you share... You learn about different industries, you learn about different people's lives, different countries, because everybody comes from all over the world to play in Las Vegas... And then you go do fun things if the poker tournament didn't work out. And I wasn't doing that. And what I was doing was I was working quite a bit. And I really realized I was looking around Vegas. And I'm looking at all these guys that are far more successful in poker than I am. Many of them better players than I'll ever be. And they're just broke, Barry. Mm-hmm. They're bad with money and they're asking me for money and they're I uh full disclosure I took out a couple small loans when I was starting back up again uh getting back on the tour but the amounts are really nominal but that, when that's on my ledger before it gets paid off it, it you get a little worried because oh you know I got to I I got to get that back to that guy well anyway I used most of my own money to get back on the tour it didn't work out, but I didn't... Look, with the WPT fi- final table, it, it didn't... And some other final tables. And, and online has been going really well. The losses are very nominal, and I've paid all my bills, so I guess I'm a little in profit. These guys, Barry, are just hundreds of thousands of dollars down between yeah. multiple people, and they owe people hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they're playing in poker tournaments, and people are coming up to harass them and stuff. And I'm thinking, and I, it really made me realize, and th- this wasn't to beat up on them, I had this thought, and I kept turning it over in my head, and then I said, yeah, this is right. Without my students, I'm nothing. And this industry, the reason I'm so happy and doing so well and I'm able to take care of my mother and I'm, I'm a very happy person is because of my students. And right then I, was, I said, I'm coming off the road. I, uh, people come to Las Vegas prepping for this for six months, the WSOP. They have all their money set aside. They wake up in the morning. They work out. They show up. They cool down. They examine hands. I'm trying to run a business at the same time. Mm-hmm. This isn't... This, it, I did the right thing in that I played really small tournaments. I had a huge ROI on. And I gave... I could have charged a 1.3 markup. I gave 1.2, which I thought was extremely generous. But I wanted people to feel good about their investment. And I wanted to show people I cared about their investment, enough to thank them in that way. But it occurred to me after the package was done, I'm, I got to regroup. I got to take care of my students. My students are the most important. I could sell another package and play everything. I actually was offered a deal 
to play most of the high-stakes WSOP tournaments, and it would include the 10K 6 Max. That's where most of my experience is in. For those of you who don't know, I, I was a 6 Max cash player for a number of years. I have millions of hands from 6 Max. Uh, my final table in Montreal was in 6 Max. My, uh, my deepest WSOP run was in 6 Max. It's, that's my game, and I turned it down. And it was just free money, but I, I really wanted to go back to Bullhead City. And I, I really wanted to... <laughs> no one's ever said that before. But, uh, <laughs> I've never uh, been, but the way you talk about it, I, I think I'd like it. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, it, it, it does not lie to you. It is, it is just, it's just Arizona. It's 115 degrees. People ride their jet skis in the Colorado River. Laughlin, Nevada is actually a blast. It's, they had Coolio recently. Carlos and I have a really good time out there. I'm not trying to badmouth it, but it's, it's a quaint American town. There's not a lot going on. And when you're, when you're on the East Coast, it's, it, it, there's just so much going on here. And I, I get a little addicted to that, just the, the speed of life. And when you go out to Bullhead City, there's pretty much nothing going on. There's... Uh, uh, I had a big day in Bullhead City the other day. I went to work out at my gym, and everybody was just openly talking about steroids. That was because they run it up from the Mexican border. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is where I live." <laughs> and uh, it, it's a fine city, but I just I really like being in my. I have my big kitchen, and I can try out new recipes. And I have my mom, and I watch baseball games, and that's not. Uh, I'm really good friends with my mom, and I love taking care of her. And then, also, I just wanted to see my girlfriend. I wanted to hang out here and work on my business. And I feel really at peace since I did that. I'm going to be back for the WSOP main event. And I'm really working toward next year, I think, just setting aside a lot of time for the WSOP and making sure I'm not... The other thing was I had a battle coming up in uh, in Fresno, and I, Barry, I was up till two, three in the morning in this abandoned diner practicing my rounds, mm-hmm. and you know people staring at me like I was insane because I couldn't do anything. And there were people walking by, and they just see this guy mm-hmm. in a diner yelling at imaginary people in rhyme. And they're looking at me, what what happened to this guy? I've seen some weirdos in Vegas, but this guy takes the cake, a rhyming schizophrenic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and the kid backed out three days before, which, of course, sent me on flaming tilt. Because you, uh, tell, tell me that two weeks before. Tell me that three weeks before. Because in, in, I, I was getting, I made sure to get eight hours of sleep every night. I worked out. I want to say about one and a half days out of three days out of four. It, it, it not, uh, not, it was like, uh, okay. I, you want to know how geeky it was? 1.75 out of three is what I was going to say, which is usually I was going for two out of three, but once in a while I'd skip a day. So I lost weight in Vegas. I was getting eight hours of sleep a night. I was playing good poker. I was, it, it, it just, I was doing well with the schedule. I just, wanted to take a step back and once I did I felt really at peace with the decision and I really want to focus on my students right now so I opened up my schedule I've booked another 20-25 lessons uh, I've been 
teaching out here in New York. It's been a blast just working out, uh, uh, hanging out with my girlfriend, cooking. While she cooks, I watch and try to learn. Uh, you know, just hanging out, enjoying life, and writing, enjoying life. So I, yeah, life is life is really good right now. But I, it's one of these things. I I got into poker not for the money. I used to tell people I got into poker for the money. I got into poker for the freedom. And if there's a time of the year where I am not allowed to do anything different than go to the WSOP and sweat in the desert and be by my lonesome, that's not freedom. That's not, that's, that is a job. They tell you when to go to the bathroom. They tell you when to eat. They tell you what you can eat. That's a job. And I'm sorry, that's, that's not the job I signed up for. I, I wanted to do this my way. And I, I don't know if you saw this on Facebook, Barry, but did you see I have a new book out? Yeah, the staking one. Yeah, Sharp Staking came out. And I, I made that with my buddy. He's a remarkably intelligent guy. We lived together in Malta. Really met by chance. And I just, I love the kid. He's younger than me, but he taught me so much about being a man and standing on my principles he has some pretty eccentric <laughs> views he uh well he was a vegan before it was cool and that was pretty tough in malta but he when you heard him talk about it and I, i'd grown up with vegetarians my whole life in seattle and i always felt they did it for they did it so they could tell people how much better they were than others and that always drove me nuts but when i heard this guy talk about and when I heard this guy talk about anything, I was just fascinated. And then he's very good with mathematics. And then we were getting into staking. Him and I were backing people. And then he was doing the math. And he he was telling me, you know, these things don't add up, Alex. What people tell you you can do in backing and what you can actually do are completely different things. What you should be focusing on is completely different than what's actually being invested upon in this industry and he he's been running with it for years and finally he sent me a bunch of his ideas and as far I'm no I'm not great with the mathematics as you all know but from what I could tell it made perfect sense when I tried to look through it and then he said would you contribute to this book so we I, I wrote I think it's a, about a hundred pages of content maybe it's 70 or 80 I'm not sure I wrote I, I wrote for the book tried to add some levity to the book because his stuff is pretty hardcore bringing in a little bit more of the experiential wisdom when it comes to backing because I've been backed, I've backed many players etc, etc and when that book came out, Barry I, I realized this makes me happier than anything this, this and I'm not going to make money off the book, but that's not the point, it's the the when I won a live tournament, I didn't even I, I won a live tournament, you know, vanquished 653 people or whatever it was. All the chips were given to me, tens of thousands of dollars. I didn't even take a winner's photo. I just left. I took my money and left mm -hmm. because it doesn't really mean anything. I, it's my job. It's uh, it's what I do for money, which is fine. I love my job, but it's not. It doesn't mean anything. Whereas if you write a book 
If you were paid right now, Barry, $5,000 to remove this book from Earth, to get rid of this book that just came out, that very few people have purchased so far, or however many people have purchased so far, right? Let's say, I have no idea. I haven't seen the sales figures, but it's not like the myth of poker talent. You wouldn't be trying to rid whatever it is, 10 or 20,000 copies of a book. You'd be getting rid of whatever it is. Yeah. You, you, you wouldn't do it for $5,000. You wouldn't do it for $50,000. It's impossible. It's never going to be off the Internet. It's never going to be gone. It, mm-hmm. Your words live forever. Your experiences mean something. Your, your work has meaning, and you can help people. And I tell people all the time, I don't care if you check out the Method Poker Talent from the library and I get $0 from it. I, I came up on books from the library, and I didn't have any form of formal education, but the library was there for me, and none of those authors got anything. So to pay it forward, I, I have to contribute my own work, and that, that has meaning to me, and, that, and working with my students has meaning to me. And then when I have that right, I realized with Prague I had everything right in my business, and I was on fire when I was playing those tournaments, and everything was right the first time I went to Montreal, and I was just on fire. I was so excited. I loved my job. I loved my life. And it was more of a job in the next few trips, and it didn't go as well. So reevaluating, writing down in my notebook, I said, okay, this is what I'm going to change up. And I've been feeling really good with that. And I've been having a few great days out here in Queens with my girlfriend. We, we had Korean barbecue yesterday, which was a trip. Uh, it looked just like a place in Seoul I used to always go to, and I hadn't had good Korean barbecue in almost a decade. So, yeah, life life is good, man. Like, got got to see her perform and do her things. And, yeah, like, life is good, man. I can't complain. I have the greatest life of anyone I know. Good, good. You sound, you sound positive and upbeat. Yeah. So we're going to take that energy and throw it right into questions from our, our loyal listeners just now. Yes, sir. Um, yes, sir. Let's help some babies. So this one is uh, from a long-time listener who's not emailed in in a while, Mr. Aaron Lapointe. Lapointe. Uh, and uh, <laughs> he actually emailed in a question. Let me check. I think it was way back end of May. Uh, started. I say way back. It was just last month. It feels like way back. Uh, and then he got in touch last week again with another question. And I've looked at his questions and... There are two questions, but they're both to do with limpers, so I think we can do both of them uh, to start this show anyway, with the question section. So the first one is, hey Barry and Alex, uh, hey guys, long time since I wrote in, I'm still listening and loving the pod. I've switched to a local Canadian site, which is really great, pretty soft and results have been good. My question is about playing pots with multiple limpers. Alex, can you talk about playing multi-way pots against limpers? I've made some adjustments, so I'm using bigger sizing with my preflop raises, therefore tightening those opens a bit. I'm not used to so much limping, but ultimately it speaks to the caliber of play in these $15 to $33 buy-ins. Can you talk about how, we, how you would adjust preflop and also how that would affect your continuation bet sizing, both flop and turn? Now... I will read any part of that again, Alex, but I'm going to read you the second question in case you can sort of 
do like uh, you know you want to cover everything and so I don't I then ask you a second question and it's kind of going over shit that you could have said or whatever um, so this one is hey guys uh, I've talked to Alex in private emails and he's been nothing but a great help with all facts of this here life so I wanted to say publicly Alex thank you so this is his second question I play on the Ubersoft Canadian site and there are tons of 32.2 and 34.28.0, all those loose preflop limpers who never raise. Typically, these tourneys get very short once we are deeper into them. So my question is against these players who limp pretty much their whole range and us being relatively short, maybe 8 to 14 big blinds, how much should I tighten my jam range, jam range versus their limps? Cheers, boys. So... Jamming against limpers and uh, the other one was these uh, continuation bits mm-hmm. on the flop and turn and stuff. So all that, it's all limper related. So Alex, uh, take it away. Well, thank you, Aaron, for writing in your questions. I'm really happy to help in any way. I'm not going to lie to you. This is a pretty inexact science from my research the one thing you were talking about jams that really helped me is on Cardrunner's EV, I actually found with the short stack situations, it does become a bit of a mess, but you can input limpers and it, it, it becomes a mess, but it's a manageable mess. Whereas there's some situations you do try to solve in Cardrunner's EV and it becomes a unmanageable mess that will take you most of your life to try to parse out and then you're not really sure what you've learned at the end whereas short stacks into limpers i i found it pretty interesting to see what i could shove if people were not calling that wide and i i was pretty surprised by how wide i could do it and i found many of the problems i had develop on these softer sites by the way, very smart going on to a softer site. That's always what you want to do. Local softer sites. The, the big sites are fun. They're, they, they can be in your portfolio, but perhaps not the majority of your portfolio. These large field tournaments with many regs are certainly not the most uh, stable. Now, I, I'd, recommend, I'd recommend just playing around with Cardrunner's EV. Another thing is... I think you're probably overestimating the number of mistakes you're making because it, it, it is very variance fraught and frustrating when we shove and there, there's sometimes you have a week where just six times in a row a guy goes F it with seven, eight of diamonds and uh, hits his seven. You go, what did I do? And it, you, you likely didn't do anything wrong or the guy... The guy normally would fold ace eight offsuit, so you shove your ace six suited. But for whatever reason that day, he got into a fight with his girlfriend. His uh, hockey team lost. He just goes screw you, buddy, and calls with his ace eight. And then, uh oh, you need three outs. Don't beat yourself up too much. Play around with the card runners EV. I want to say Hold'em Resources has some limping functions. I think ICMizer does as well. I look into all of this. Uh, I'll be honest with you, I have some buddies that are really good at this stuff, and whenever I think I'm making a mistake, I send it off to them, and they just run me back the results, so I'm not the best at telling you what is the best. Uh, But the great thing is, all this stuff's out there now. Back in the day, we just had to guess and count on our fingers and toes and hope it was the right answer. We 
th- this kind of stuff is out there now. As far as playing games with a lot of limpers, this is not easy. Anybody who tells you it's easy is sorely mistaken. Uh, I, I was lucky enough when I started playing professionally. I, I was over in Europe, and I got to get into some private games, and I was actually surprised how difficult it was to deal with frequent limpers because everybody just limbed in and wanted to see a flop. And then, first of all, socially, it's kind of hard to be the guy isolating all the time. I'd always have to find some goofy line. My favorite was always when I iso-raised, I'd say, let's make it more interesting, and then everybody would laugh, as opposed to, oh, this punk. And Mm -hmm. whatever your race size is, so the one I always see is under-the-gun limps, middle position limps, MP plus two limps. Then it comes around to the guy, and he makes it 7X, which used to be fine because you would get one caller. And you brought this up, Aaron, that you do pay attention to this. Well, what would you make it, everybody listening? What would you raise if there was, let's say, three limpers? Many of you are saying 7X. Some of you are saying 9X is kind of on the upper echelon there, I go to 11 or 12. Because that's... Whatever's just going to get me one caller is money in the bank. Because typically a no limit hold'em, two cards is going to miss the three out there. And if you both miss, you're the aggressor, you're going to pick it up. If you both hit, hopefully you're picking a hand good enough that it hits a little better than the other guys. And if he hits and you miss and you see that and he just calls you, well, now he's giving you the turn in river to catch up if you check back the turn and you did it in position. But position, oversized raises, you don't have to be too tight. This is, this is a big misconception, which is when the game gets super loose, you tighten up. And it's actually you loosen up. Because your king-jack offsuit doesn't have a ton of value opening from middle position in a tough game. But if everybody's going to limp call you with king-deuce of diamonds, or you got one knucklehead there who really likes his king-four of diamonds, well, your king-jack has quite a bit of value. But you want to raise up... I always have stupid little anecdotes to help you remember it. Uh, Beats headphones, we always make fun of on this podcast. and, And, well... These headphones, I, I read some article a million years ago. I can't remember. Or I think Matt Affleck turned me on to it. Something about, I bought the Beats headphones when they first came out, and I thought I was real cool with them. And then Matt, uh, who knows a thing or two, said, read this article, Alex, I think, if I'm remembering this correctly. And uh, it said, you know, Beats headphones cost like eighteen ninety five to produce and I just dropped four hundred dollars on them and I went, Oh my God, I'm the sucker in this game. Well, when you're raising pre flop, you wanna price it like beats headphones. Cause who's gonna call the abnormally large raise? It's gonna be the worst player at the table. So think about it. Would you like to play heads up with the worst player at the table in the biggest pot possible? That's what we're looking for. So price it like Beats headphones. Price it like you're trying to get a really dumb 21-year-old assassinato to buy your dumb product. And get that guy heads up. Now, as far as flop betting, turn betting, and river betting, I find people make their big decisions right now on the flop or the river. They, they kind of, in the old 
it, when on the flop they'll still fold to you. On the river they're fold to you, but on the turn I see a whole lot of. Well, hell, I'll call one more time and see what he does on the river. I see a whole lot of that. So, if you're going to double barrel bluff. Uh, you should try to follow it up with three barrels much more these days. Where in the old days, I'd tell you, lo- load up on the turn. I'm sure you've seen some videos where I discuss that. Uh, I-, I find the guys who go for three barrels, uh, Carlos Welch does this really well. Uh, he goes for three barrels really well. And I love that about his game. And I love, I-, I love that about a lot of the developing guys I'm working with now is they can go for three barrels. But... And then there's, it's funny, you either go for three barrels or there's some guys you just should give up. You should just take six cards out of seven and check back the flop and see at the six card, are you doing all right? If you ISO raise with ace-queen offsuit, the guy calls you and the board, you have a, a black ace-queen, ace of clubs, queen of spades, and then the board comes seven of diamonds, five of diamonds, nine of hearts, and the guy checks to you. You have two options. You you can fire three streets there, because if he check calls you there, he probably overpairs he possibly with a four-bat pre-flop, or he would have limp re-raised. A lot of those guys love that play. Uh, sets, he might raise, try to get it in. Big draws, he might want to gamble. So if he just check calls you there, his range is not so much in limping intensive games, because they don't play strictly the ABC poker stars poker we've become so accustomed to and we discuss so fervently here but it is a little bit more weighted towards one pair so in my opinion if he checks you you should either check and see if you can turn that ace or queen or you should fire three barrels what you don't want to do these days is fire the flop give up you don't want to fire the flop and turn and give up. Those, to me, are way further down on the spectrum as far as viable plays. They're not even viable. It's just, it, it, is, a, it is bad form to be blunt. And the types of hands you want to play, you want to get a heads up with, are big cards. Big cards make big pairs. Big pairs make winning hands heads up but if you have seven five of diamonds don't go ahead and iso raise there which is this is really confusing because when you watch uh training videos online many of those cash game players come from a six max background and in six max it's all about raising limpers and just punishing people because the blinds come around so often you have to be pretty active if you're playing a full ring game on a Canadian site, you don't need to put the pedal to the metal that fast. And furthermore, these guys are going to be a little harder to track because they're playing recreationally. They feel These are the people that didn't want to play poker before, but now they feel safe because it's in a regulated environment. They're going to play a little different. It's going to be a little harder to track. So if you get those pseudo-gappers, those pseudo-connectors, you could hypothetically... R- isolate raise with them but they do really well in multi-way pots and then you can play the two pair better poker that we've been discussing quite a bit on this show and then mm-hmm. i think that's when you can make some real dollars and it, stick to the and if you're going to raise with the big cards it's always good to take notes on your guys or have note caddy take them for you if the guy limps ace king and i had a few of these in vegas where it got folded around to me on the button with ace jack and I ISO raised, and if that guy flatted me, I went, all right, 
This guy limp calls with Ace King. I've seen that. That happened in the MSPT. So you got to cool it if you flop the ace. Don't just go for the wall. Whereas if you see the guy raise with Ace-King offsuit and then limp in Ace-6 suited and you have Ace-Jack, go for, go for the gold uh, if you hit the ace. Try to get him for three straights. So this is actually something I've thought quite a bit about because the games in Vegas, by the way, guys, are very soft. Don't let anyone tell you this game is getting tougher. This, this is actually something I've been doodling about in my notebook lately because some of these games were like this, it, especially the that fantastic tournament, the MSPT main event was lovely with many of these types of players. But it, it is a different strategy, and it's quite uncomfortable when you first get into it. So I'm glad you asked the question. I'm glad we could talk about it on the show. Good luck to you. Let us know how it works out, Aaron. Okay, and uh, this one is... Right, we're going to do this one. It's from Ricky, because uh, you did speak about six marks at the start, but... Um it's, it's not six mats, but it's six-handed and stuff. So this one is from Ricky. Uh, my question for the podcast is about adjusting our hand selection and opening ranges when we are six or seven-handed, perhaps when there are only three or four tables left in a tournament, for example. How should I do this? Well, the thing... Thank you. Uh, Ricky was the name? Uh, Ricky, yeah. Ricky. Thanks, Ricky. I just wanted to make sure I got that right. Uh, it... it it's, fuzzed out a bit here i didn't want to you know thanks josh or whatever and get it wrong <laughs> yeah. but uh uh it, the thing about six max i always found I, I was very blessed to make the kind of money i made in six max but i almost felt guilty about it because my adjustments weren't that severe everybody asked me what i want to watch you play a six max session i remember this cash game guy who's way better than i am you know i want to watch you do a six max session he was amazed how tight i was and i i said to him hey uh if everybody else is gonna go crazy i don't, I don't have to go nuts and i was at uh that six max uh tournament i f- was lucky enough to final table in montreal the first three hours i didn't do anything because i had uh I I had a kid who very... I think we've discussed this kid on the show. He he went, do you know what it's like to be the best in Montreal? Might be the best in the world. And he he was 100% (laughs) serious. And he played like he was trying to prove to everybody he was the best. And uh, Mm -hmm. so every pot, he's in there and he's trying to fuss around. And I'm not going to be able to bluff him. I'm not going to be able to get one over on him. So I just have to wait for a value hand. And that meant I had to play very tight. And then we had a... Uh, we had another kid sit down who, his thing was just three barrels every hand. He was coming for us. And I didn't get to play versus him either. That was the guy who replaced the first psychopath. So, finally, I flopped something. I got, I got a double up, and then I could do something. But six and seven max, well, seven players left in a reduced tournament setting when you're going to the final table when people are six and seven handed, they tend to psych themselves out. The game doesn't change. This is something I tell people when you move up to higher stakes. The game is still the same game. It's just played for more money. So just make sure not to psych yourself out. Use money you can afford to lose. And when you go to six max, uh, you see a number of people psyching themselves out. If 
you were at a nine max table and three people folded, and then you looked at. So I got. I want you guys to visualize the last nine max table you're at. You're you're on the complete other side of the big blind, and there's five people to your left. You look down at Ace Ten Offsuit. You're not going yes. You're not going oh god. I got to play this hand or. You look down at ace-jack offsuit, or you look down at king-queen offsuit, or, or you look down at pocket sixes, or ace-eight suited. You're, you're not in love with your hand. You know perhaps you need to play it, but if the table's really tough, you just fold. And if the table's good, you open. The, it's the same damn thing in six-max. Just everybody feels... Somebody says, you gotta open here. You gotta do... And by the way, this is something I notice in Vegas. There's a lot of insecure people that just use coined words i uh, terms that they don't even really know what they're talking about uh, uh one of my students made a very good icm play deep in a tournament and he said my buddy said it was atrocious because of icm and i and i i i, I don't I, I don't know how to put that that, that that's like saying th- this is <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to find an apt analogy. It would be saying that global warming isn't real because of science. It's okay. All the world, all the words are there, but you need to provide more than that. And you have kind of a strange theory here, which was the guy was on a money bubble and he put pressure on another person, which is exactly what you want to do on the money bubble, and he did it with a hand that was just fine for it, and the guy provided no argument on the way back, uh, but he wanted his buddy to know he was terrible. Well, that's insecurity, and I'm sure a lot... uh, That's insecurity being projected on you. And there's a lot of this in poker, which is, oh, it's six max, you gotta... If you don't play a ton of hands, you're a bad player. Well, this appeals to our rationale of... I need to do something in order for something to happen. Poker is very strange. We watch Kobe Bryant on the Lakers floor, and you can see why he was Kobe Bryant. He was just out there every every play. Poker is very strange because you can take over the game by not doing anything for three hours and by dialing it back and waiting for like a sniper waiting for your spot but nobody's going to see that nobody's going to appreciate that the announcers are not going to love it so do what you think is right set your inner compass to what you believe is right and just imagine a not something i do with my online guys when they go to live it's a lot of sensory overload it's very discomforting if you think about it in normal day-to-day life I just went to a bodega here to get my iced coffee. I don't think anybody looked me in the eye. I don't think anybody said two words to me, and I was around 20 people. You go to a poker table, people are staring at you for eight hours. It's it's very uncomfortable, especially if you work at home normally or you work in a cubicle. I tell people, just imagine a top-down view. Imagine like it's online, and then that tricks them into playing their normal style from online. Well, with 6-max or 7-max, just imagine a 9-max table and two people folded. Now, the four or six cards missing isn't going to... It's not going to change the ranges so drastically uh, that you have to change all that different here. And I find with 6-max, I was always of the opinion 
if you hung back a bit, you could make real money. So in my six max cash days, and by the way, I don't want to make it sound as if I played really high stakes six max cash. My bread and butter was one, two, two, four, really a lot of one, two. I was really good at multi-tabling one, two on this one really soft network. But I, if I did three bet, a lot of the times it was just to keep up appearances. And if I did open a little weaker, it was because I thought the table had knitted it up a bit. But if I got caught, like if somebody called me, I just let it go. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't work to defend my few big blinds I'd put into the pot by putting out another 97 X or whatever it was. So don't, don't push yourself too hard. Uh, Remember, a lot of the 6-max videos, when they pay an instructor to make a 6-max video, that might be the best 6-max player. That doesn't necessarily mean he's a terrific teacher. He might be. He might not be. But if you watch, let's say, Phil Galfond, I imagine is a fantastic 6-max player and teacher. But you've got to remember, Phil Galfond can play damn near anything and make it work. He's that good. Uh, us, we're human. We're, we're still learning the game. What we need to be doing is just visualizing a nine max table and a couple people folded. What would we do? And remember, your three bets are actually going to get a little less respect because it's so shorthanded. People feel close proximity. There has to be a little bit more aggression here. So actually be a little more careful about when you apply them. Don't The adjustments here are very slight, but I, I think they're... Uh, Remember, well, that's really the bottom line, is remember the adjustments are very slight. If everybody's going crazy, loosen up just a bit to get a little more value out of it, but don't go psycho with them. Stay, stay apart from the crowd. Keep your, keep your own ideas, and remember, it's your game. You paid the money. You can play the tournament the way you want to, and if you learn from it, there's no shame. Uh, good luck to you, Ricky. Yeah, just I, I uh, stuff I've noticed um, when people get them the last two tables, like what Alex said there, when you're sort of six, seven max like that because there's only you know fourteen players left or whatever or twelve players, a lot of people that aren't comfortable in that situation isn't Alex, they, they can fall into that sort of like fancy play syndrome. They end up doing oh, yes. something crazy with like you know ace three off or whatever and hitting a three on the flop and then going, busting out the tournament and going, why did I get, you know, I wouldn't have done that, you know, with 40 players left or whatever. So sometimes it's just the moment, isn't it, that can sort of, like, make make that stuff go on in people's heads. Yes, uh, the human mind is not trained to win and lose large financial amounts. That it, We wouldn't be very good hunter-gatherers if we were very good at losing our belongings, our gaining them rapidly if it didn't feel so good we wouldn't be hunters so the human mind is already working against you in these spots until you get substantial experience in this format so but if we go in expecting that something i do my buddy was telling me i get a lot of 13th to 8th place finishes what should i do and my 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 initial thought i don't know if i communicated that to him as well as i could have was the problem is you feel like you got to do something uh it my big thing is if i get ace 10 i had this happen in the wpt prague which was i had a number of uh eastern european regs very very good players very very smart young man 
I got Ace Jack offsuit. I think it was under the gun plus two or what it, whatever six max would be. I just tossed it because these guys, these guys know what they're doing, right? Now, if I psych myself out, maybe I'd be playing a six suited there or something way worse or pocket threes. Whereas I was actually folding pocket sixes and pocket fives and because there was just no way to play it. But that doesn't mean completely relent. If one of those people opens from early position, remember, they're still in this heightened state of arousal, so likely their opening range, let's say their opening range there is normally 18%, it's much more likely to go up to 22% now than it is to go to 14 mm-hmm. uh, If there's going to be any change, which I think we can usually safely assume there is a change uh, with the, the final couple of tables, the final table, uh, the, the, excuse me, the... Uh, the final few tables and the final table is within reach. It, of course, this is going to have an effect on most normal human beings, but you should expect them to be expanding their opening ranges and really freezing up to three bets. That's why primarily what I'm focusing on, uh, when I was doing my webinar, Master the Flop, I started a lot of my videos with, uh, uh, we, we did the, we did, we did, we focused on being heads up in position because people freeze up in that format, and they're opening a few too many hands, and then they become honest. So if you're going to attack, I say attack on the three bet, but be careful on that open, because people have a lot of training of dealing with opens. So back, perhaps back off on that one a little bit. And like Barry said, don't give in to fancy play syndrome. It feels like you got to do something special to win a tournament. Honest, honestly, Many of the poker tournaments I've won, I just kept a cool head while everybody else was losing their mind. Yeah. And, and the, all I did was hang out and just didn't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm. And it, it was when I was trying to win the tournament every single hand that I went out 7th or 8th or whatnot. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, Alex. I did get your newsletter and stuff this week. I've noticed you started sending out a few more of them recently and uh, Master the Flop stuff and stuff for uh, the people that are signed up to that. Um, anything else in the pipeline? How can people get in touch with you for lessons, etc.? If you guys want to sign up for my newsletter, we just had two newsletters go out. And by the way, if you want any of these, just write me an email and at alex at com. I'd be happy to forward them to you. I wrote one called How to Pay Attention in Live Poker. It's this funny little reward system I use that actually really helps me uh, to pay attention when maybe I'm a little zonked out and tired as happens to everyone when you're in these hyper refrigerated rooms in the desert Uh, and I wrote another one which was if I could remember what it was about it would be much (laughs) what was the other one about Barry how to pay attention and oh how to pick a poker coach I, I wrote about and I actually said you know there's a lot of times I wouldn't be the best poker coach for you and I said, these are the poker coaches I really respect. This is what they're really good at. Uh, I, I, you, your money, I'm sure there's other good poker coaches other than these, but that your money is in safe hands with these guys. And I, by the way, I get nothing for that. I just, I'm getting a lot of students, Barry, that come from these obvious, I, I can't come up with a good word, hacks, guys that are clearly, have their star is faded in poker and they're trying to make money. Mm. And by the time I get to them, I feel really bad because the student has to actually unlearn many of the things they've learned Mm -hmm. because the, 
the the teacher clearly didn't care about them and was preaching a style that's been dated for years uh, because the teacher needs to pay their bills now and sees no other way than to put up with this pedestrian. And the guys I recommend, Jonathan Little, uh, Carlos Welch, Split Suit, Matthew Jonda, although I, I think he might be studying to be a doctor now or something. Uh, these guys... I get nothing from it, but I want you to know if I, when I send my guys to other coaches, the, oh, and Dr. Trisha Cardner, these are the people I send them to. And I, I don't expect anything off the back end. It, it's just, these are the people I trust. These are the people I talk to. These are the people I love to talk shop with. And I trust them. And I, I thought I've always wanted to write that article. I put that out. If you guys want either of those articles, write me at Alex at pokerheadrush.com. I had a lot of fun putting them together. And, uh, yeah, sign up for my newsletter at PokerHeadRush.com. Uh, just go to the side and enter your email address. If you want to write me about private lessons, write me at Alex at PokerHeadRush.com. I am the only one who responds to my emails, and just so you know, that I don't have an assistant anymore just gunning them out, but I'm coming off the tour, so I get back to everybody personally within a few days, but don't expect 30-minute turnaround. And uh, you follow me on Twitter at the Auto. I believe that's it. Thank you guys for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Oh, and uh, check out my blogs on America's Card Rooms blogs. Got it. I'm writing a new batch of them as we, not as we speak. That's just something you say. It'd be really hard to podcast <laughs> and write as you speak. But uh, I, I'm writing them this week. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, I'm liking what's coming together. So uh, Tommy Angelo was nice enough to retweet some of them and. I, I think you guys are going to enjoy the new ones that are about to come out, so be sure to look for those. Okay, and as Alex said, thanks again for listening this week. If you want to send questions in for a future show, email questions at oneouter.com and we will get to them eventually. Um, Alex, we will catch you again next week. Um, thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Every day at America's Card Room, players just like you are scoring big in record time with Jackpot Poker. Jackpot Poker is a super fast three-player online poker set and go. You pick the buy-in, and after all three players are seated, we randomly pick the jackpot. Yep, just three players. No more, no less. And for most jackpot poker tournaments, it's winner take all. Imagine turning a $40 buy-in into the ultimate $100,000 game of poker. Anything could happen with jackpot poker. Play it now at America's Card Room.